everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Psychiatry Unboxed. We're going to be doing a fun episode a little bit today. We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift, parasocial relationships, and I have the first time we're doing a three-way kind of podcast. So we have Dr. Jesse Gold, who's been on the show before, and Britt Barkholtz, who is new to the show, but proved to be a very fun addition. So we'll skip all the long bios, and then we'll just kind of jump right in. But welcome to the latest episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. We've got a fun and exciting show today. It's extremely serious, but it's also fun and exciting. Uh, The first time we're doing a three-way call, so this is going to be different. So hopefully this doesn't, we don't break the internet in some way, shape, or form. So we're going to be talking about... (laughs) Taylor Swift, parasocial relationships, and mental health. And I have the two biggest Taylor fans in the mental health sphere say we were going to give a giant F you to the New York Times on that craptastic article that they put out there. So Dr. Jesse Gold and Miss Mary Barkles. So I'll let you guys introduce yourself first, and then we'll kind of go from there. Ms. Brett, oh, you can go make first. Me go first. Yeah, right, Brett, you got to go first. We're doing this alphabetically. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Letters, yes. So I'm Britt Barkholt. I am, um, as as promised, the one of the biggest Swifties in the mental health sphere, I think. Um, yeah. I, so I am a uh, trauma therapist um, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, focused primarily my clinical specialties focus primarily around complex trauma um, and uh, specifically also domestic and sexual violence. Um, and yeah, other than my swiftiness, kind of the main bullet points about me are that I, I read a lot, I run a lot, and um, I own way too much Taylor Swift merchandise. So. Oh, that's okay. You can never have too much of like that. So like I've... You know, like I have like a hundred plus pairs of sneakers and, you know, if somebody were to say I have too many, I'd just, you know, I'd be very upset with them. So the question is that is too many for what? Too many for what? And then watch what? them struggle because yeah. they won't know what to say. <laughs> there we go. There's a therapist hack for life, right? When people start to get at you. All right. And then we have Dr. Jesse Gold. So Jesse Gold has been on the show before, so we give let you do your thing again. So it's okay. Okay. No yeah. problem. Shout out to her cardigan, which is Taylor Swift merch. Um, I am a psychiatrist in St. Louis who specializes in kind of college mental health, healthcare worker mental health. Um, I see patients as an outpatient. And then I also, um, you know, do a lot of admin related to healthcare worker mental health and leadership in our hospital. Um, I write sometimes um, to explain the reason why this even like kind of started I mean, that article came out and my therapist sent it to me and said, I thought you wrote this. And then I realized (laughs) you didn't. So that just kind of explains my life in a very good way, which is that like I talk about it enough that even my therapist would be like, why are you not the psychiatrist writing about Taylor Swift in the New York Times? Um, Both Britt and I have been Taylor Swift fans. I think they call us like elder fans or something. (laughs) I think there's like a a word for that, which is that like we actually like saw her perform like debut. It's like old stuff and open for people before she was like, 
you know, cool. We stuck with her when people didn't like her. Um, And I think like have been around for a while. So it's kind of cool that people talk about Taylor Swift in this like really (laughs) different way now where like I think both of us have, you know, been through periods where we maybe weren't necessarily in a group of people wearing merch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yeah. Raise your hand if you've ever been made fun of, like genuinely, for your your adoration of Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 interesting, right? Because like I, so I'll I'll admit right from the beginning, like I'm not the biggest Taylor Swift fan. More so in regards to like you know, it's not my genre of music. I'm more of like an old school hip hop, you know, 90s New York hip hop guy. And like, you know, the Euro trash dance music that we use for when I'm working out at the gym. Like, that's my main thing. But like, you know, my son was a big, when we were, when he was a kiddo, when he was like, you know, six, seven, eight months old, Shake It Off was like really big, you know, mm-hmm. and that was like, I was like, and then there was, you know, now my kids are a little bit older and they're like requesting songs for me to put on on the drive in and I was like oh wait this is Taylor Swift I didn't even realize like oh this is Taylor Swift I didn't even realize it and I was like oh this is like some good stuff so that was that we'll we'll start with that one but let's let's start (laughs) with our surprise question so I do a surprise question for everybody um so Jesse you can go first this time okay favorite Taylor Swift song and why I kind of thought that was going to be your surprise question to be honest yeah Um, that's okay so the problem with that is she has a very big catalog. Um, it's enormous, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so like picking one song forever is pretty hard. I will say she uh, just released Speak Now Taylor's version. So I've been deep in listening to that. So if we're going to just pick a song that I am currently actively listening to the most. <laughs> we can go with that, yeah. Um, I like the I Can See You song from The Vault. Um, and I also like Last Kiss on that album. Um, I, you know, but all time favorite, you know, maybe I would say all too well, 10 minute version. Um, mm-hmm. but that's probably like a wimpy answer. Champagne problems, probably also up there too. Okay. Brett, you can go now. Same question. I mean, favorite song. Like similar disclaimer that, yeah, there's, yeah. it's such a big my thing is like, I feel like my favorite song entirely depends on what mood I'm in in a moment and both like emotionally and musically, because you can just have such a wide range of that. My, yeah, my easy answer, I feel like I do similar to Jesse. I always default to all too well, just because it, it is a deep favorite of mine. Um, but I also like my, as as the youth call it my stan song um <laughs> is state of grace <laughs> that is my like deep cut that i feel like not enough people give respect to um and i as far as the um the recent release of speak now taylor's version the song that i can't stop listening to on that one is foolish one from the vault um that has been on a, on a, a large repeat <laughs> nice if you will need us to explain things to you, like what from the vault and Taylor's version means, you feel may, free you to may ask. Have to. Yeah. Yeah. Me, so, so, so Taylor Swift yeah. had her masters like sold without being offered to her. And so as a result, she's re recording all the albums she does not currently own. Anything yeah. called something something Taylor's version is her re recording version of it. Um, when we say from the vault, it's like she basically decided that she would also add songs to those albums yeah. so that like if you're buying a new album, you also get some new experience from it. Um, and their songs she wrote 
at the time of that album. So she's like picking up from her huge, like sort of if you went back to your journals from when you were 17 and then re-recorded and then recorded something there or like if there was a song that her label didn't put on the album because her label didn't like it, um, she put those on. So those are all the ones that are like from the vault. Um, it's interesting because Brit said like all too well is like a classic one. It's what it used to be my like song that nobody else talked about that I yeah. really liked. And then she re-recorded it and she did the 10 minute version and all and did a video and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it's like on SNL and it's like all over the place. And so I, it's almost like a lame answer now when it used to be like when we were younger, like it was a really sad song on that album. And it was, it said a lot about you emotionally to be like, that's my favorite song on that (laughs) album. And, but now it's like kind of trendy. So it went from being like a secret stand to being like everybody's favorite song, which is a little weird, but true. No, it's just to be considered a deep cut. And now it's like the most common song that people say for a favorite, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's like, you have that ability. I think it's really cool that she's got, she's doing that. First of all, just because like you, you have this years now of fame and then just being able to reflect and then kind of rework it. And then you have all those extra stuff that goes on and, and uh, how it shows up differently now. So her voice sounds different too, which is cool, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're 17 and like 31 or whatever, you know, it's a very big difference. And so I think um, that's pretty cool too, as like a person who listened the whole time and, you know, she looks back and reflects on lyrics and changes them if they don't make sense or, you know, things like that, which I think is pretty cool too. I was going to say, Britt, I know you're doing a lot of like trauma work. Is there some kind of analogy that we can draw in there of redoing these songs and reshaping things? Um, I don't want to like scoop myself because I'm working on writing a piece about this oh, okay, actually. Okay. Um, but I my like <laughs> so I so this will like I will also save everybody from like the ten minute answer to that. Sure, but sure. like my short answer to that is that there is absolutely something to be said for going back and reflecting on and processing past experiences in a way that allows you to reclaim the narrative because that's so much of trauma work is going back and looking at hey I can't change what happened and I can't you know like I can't fix what happened I can't change how it impacted me but I can maybe try to kind of integrate that experience past and present into who I am now and how I move forward with that um and what narrative i carry with me um and i think that that is a thing that i totally see showing up in threads throughout how she has approached this re-recording for sure it's sort of like a triple trauma there right so there's like the trauma of like her losing her albums that she's reclaiming and then there's the trauma of those experiences she wrote about which is so it's got like multiple layers and then i also think if you think of songs like journaling or you think of songs like your actual story it is very much like trauma therapy right like where you might have someone actually write their story until they don't have as many emotional reactions or until they reclaim it whatever that looks like for them Mm -hmm. and so if you think of each song as sort of like a chapter or you know an experience within it that's also pretty cool yeah Mm -hmm. so i think that's super super cool like so let's do this let's shit on the new york times for a little bit um let's go back (laughs) okay disclaimer no offense to that psychiatrist i don't know her like 
Probably he a seems lovely like person. a really a lovely, lovely person. person. Like, I just want to say, like, let me just put that out there because I don't want, like, somebody to be like, that's my friend and you're being yeah. mean, Jesse. Because, <laughs> like, psychiatry is a small world. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to do that. I was surprised that a piece like that got in the New York Times because yeah. I write a lot and I would have never even thought to pitch a piece like that. And I would always think about a piece like that. Um <laughs> You know, so that was surprising to me, which maybe started my my feelings about the piece, which have nothing to do with her. Right. It's really right. not about her. <laughs> yeah. I, I was surprised, too, like when I when I read it, because I was like, what is this? And I think like we had we had messaged. I think you and I had messaged her and I'd written like a, a short story in like grade school where I loved like the NBA and I used all the NBA titles, all the NBA team titles like in the body of like the this paper I wrote, this short story I wrote, it was very juvenile. And that's what the article was, right? Is this that she used all the Taylor Swift songs as like sentences or words to make up the whole article, quote unquote article. Um, and I was just like, man, there's so much that could be done with this topic. So let's do it in a podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> like as far as mediums go there is so much more to say that this yeah. probably is the easier way to do it than to try yeah. to write a piece like that yeah. <laughs> yeah and to be fair to her uh they're probably going on seo word keywords things and have yeah. and added some of that in you know like i i don't know how much of that yeah. would be a person's choice versus like hey what about putting some puns in here people like a pun not a yeah. million puns but it not seems like to be like a thing you know, like headlines and news people, like when Taylor's coming to town are like, let me write a whole news thing where I use 75 like shout outs to different songs. Like it's weird. Yeah. You know, all the government has been doing that too. Like welcome to our town, whoever, you know, and here's this like weird attempt written by the intern to use every song possible. So yeah. it's, it's also the just- The town was labeled as Swiftiapolis for a whole oh. weekend. <laughs> like, cause that rolls off the tongue so well. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Alliteration. We need this. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this. So I know, Bray, I think it was, you do a lot of work with music itself too. I do. Yeah. Talk, let's talk about that. And then let's go into how we incorporate that into like the mental health world. Yeah. So my, broad, very broad. That, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my initial disclaimer is just to say that I am not a music therapist. So right. people who are not in the therapy world may not know this, but like music therapist is its own title. It's its own uh, license. It's its own degree. Like, and music therapists are amazing, amazing people. Um, so I always just want to make sure that I am not stepping on toes and misrepresenting myself. Yeah. Um, but my bachelor's degree is in music. Um, and so I, as someone with degrees in music and social work, my therapy degree, I and I find that the the combining of those two things works really well for me personally. And I have found that it is also really helpful for a lot of the clients that I work with. So um, one, one of the things, and I think this is probably much more universal than just trauma clients, but that's the population that I work with. And yeah. a thing that a lot of trauma survivors struggle with um, is, being is articulating emotion and accessing emotions in safe and helpful ways, right? Like 
everything from either, oh, I can, I can't even access my emotions, can't feel it, or I can feel it, but I don't know how to articulate it, or I know how I would articulate it, but it doesn't feel safe to, and I don't want to, and I don't feel comfortable. Um, like there's just, you know, we talk about, oh, feel your feelings, talk about how you feel. And those seem like really basic things, but they are super not. Um, and so I have found music to be a really, really helpful vehicle for facilitating that conversation. Um, anything from, you know, if you're trying to name a feeling and maybe can't get to it, but you can say like, oh, but this song is resonating with me right now, or this lyric yeah. describes how I'm feeling about this thing, or even just like on a personal like processing level, right? Like we've all done the thing where you're listening to a song and just letting yourself feel all the things because of that song. And maybe that feels a little bit more safe than just sitting with those feelings that you have. I mean, you know, just letting it exist in the world, right? Like maybe right. channeling it through something like music, which is, you know, designed to create an emotional experience. Yeah. Um, maybe that feels safer. Maybe that helps you get deeper in it. Um, and and music is a um, music is a global process. So like, get like too neuro nerdy, but <laughs> that's okay. Music both hemispheres of your brain. Um, which is similar to how, like, if you think about in like EMDR therapy, what is the whole thing underlying EMDR, bilateral stimulation, both sides of the brain, right? Like, this is how we process things. And so music allows us to more deeply process and feel those feelings that we may struggle to access. That's why you've got yeah, folks in like late stage um, dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, who can't identify the people around them, can't remember people's names or things that happened to them, but they can sit down at a piano and play that piece that they played for an eighth grade recital, right? Like yeah. it hits us on some of our absolute deepest like levels. Um, and I think that that's an extremely powerful tool to use in a therapy context. Yeah. Jesse, do you have particular songs in your life that you can remember that are like uh, tied to memories and moments? I know it's again very big and broad, but like, because uh, I... there's this, it hits on emotions. Like, I was, I'll, I'll give you a little time to think. Um, but like, I remember like after I had like failed out of dental school, right? My, one of these great tragedies of my life, right? And I'm like at home and sitting at home and being like, what do I do with my life? And I'm going, commuting to like this, you know, to get this master's degree so that I don't have to start paying back my loans immediately. Um, and I'm going back in there. And there was this album that came out by the last shadow puppets. And I don't know if everybody, probably people don't know them, uh, but it was basically the head guy from um, Arctic monkeys and another band. And they put out this album. It was very retro. We kind of rock album, but I remember it being like the soundtrack of that year because it hit me on a different level and it helped me get through like this rough, rough time of my life, right? And, you know, recently I went to a Block Party concert, so another British band. And again, they were part of that like year of my life where I was like struggling and like really low and like I failed and blah, blah, blah. But like the music helped get me through that stuff, right? That emotions there. So anytime like a song comes on from them, I'm like, it transports me to there, but then remembers like the strength of what the music did for me. Cause it gave me like a direction to something else. So Jesse, I hope we give you a little time there. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so this is going to date me for your TikTok fans, but <laughs> I I think of music, there's this thing in the show called Ally McBeal, which is oh, a yeah. show of, where there's a lawyer and she has a lot of anxiety and she sees a therapist and her therapist tells her to pick a theme song. And whenever she's feeling super anxious or super sad or whatever, to go to that theme song for support. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the theme song is not my dog barking, but my yeah. dog would like to be part of this conversation. Sure. Um, Winnie. Sorry. <laughs> um, so anyways, so now that I dated myself for your TikTok fans, because it's a 90s show, um, yeah. I think of music that way. My theme song is um, the Lily Allen Fuck You song. Uh-huh. Um, and that's always been very helpful for me. So like it you know, if I'm feeling angry or sad or something, it's it can pull me out of it. I have a whole playlist that's called Call, which I used when I was on Call. And it is a mix of emotions. So if I just want to go to sleep, there's like sad, like kind of slow songs. But there's also a lot of like, wake up, you're angry, you hate this songs. <laughs> um, so that exists. But I would say go to being the fuck you Lily Allen song. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there, there are also obviously Taylor Swift songs for different times and places and things. But if I told you all of those, it also might <laughs> give away my mental health history. So I'm not going to do that. Well, dude. We'll do just just a little bit so like yeah no uh, my my favorite song that vibe is like you know the nas hate me now song so whenever i'm like you know feeling me against the world it's like you know put on hate me now and and go from there so all right let's talk about taylor a bit who wants let's well let's also talk about paris parasocial relationships and then we'll get there um jesse do you want to talk about parasocial relationships a little bit do um, i do you yeah. I mean, so parasocial relationship <laughs> is mean? like you don't know the person, but you think you know the person because of yeah. like all of the stuff they put out and all of the content. So in social media, there's a lot of that because people are sharing so much of themselves on social that you think you know them. Reality shows are really big for this too, right? Like those are people in their lives. And so you feel like you know them as people and they're almost like your friends. And so um, it comes up in conversation about Taylor because um, – She's very good at cultivating a fan base and very good at marketing and has always been. And as a result, people feel like they know her and her life and her experiences very well. Um, She also plays into that and like puts clues and like tries to get people to find the clues. And so like people spend a lot of time looking at her like appearances and her like song notes and her posts and whatever for these clues. And like that also makes people feel close to her, I think. Her mom and dad go to every concert. I can't name another person's mom and dad that is a musician that I've ever listened to, but I could tell you both of their names. I could tell you her her like publicist's name because it's sort of like this family, her friends, I can almost name her whole friend group probably too. And I think and in during the 1989 era, she made a lot of those people famous because they were like around her. And so like there's just this way that she is in the world very particularly and very so like on purpose that makes people feel like they know her as a human, not as a distant, famous person I'm never going to meet, right? Yeah. Britt, anything you want to add to to that? I mean, I think Jesse sums it up really well. I think that the, yeah, there's, the, it's, it is one of those things that's, Hard. And I think this applies in a lot of ways around like 
social media stuff as far as, yeah, the like perceived amount of closeness, but, but like where this can get into some trouble, right? Like it's all fun and games when we're like decoding Taylor's like lyrics or she's like leaving outfit, like clues and Easter eggs for things. But I think that that like perceived degree of closeness can become a problem then when it's, you know, applied in ways where it's like, Oh, now this you're forgetting that like the, this all encompassing image that you have of someone that makes you think that you know them very well is still a highly curated image. Like you are still being shown the pieces that someone is okay with you seeing and is presenting in a certain way. Like that does not mean that you should, you know, stalk Taylor Swift and climb into her window to try to get to meet her. Like that, I mean, I would hope that nobody would do that to any of us, but like, you know, it it happens. It happens. So it brings into boundary things that happen all the time. And like, I, okay, my disclaimer on this is I am by no means comparing myself to any level of celebrity, let alone Taylor Swift. But like, I've noticed it even just on Twitter where like all of people DM me some like really intense personal stuff, just like out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, like, setting aside any feelings that I have about anything that's going on for anybody. And of course I have tons of empathy for that. It is this thing where I'm like, I, it just feels very odd to me that this person who I don't actually know their real name have probably never interacted with or very rarely interacted with other than maybe like a couple of Twitter replies back and forth. Then is like sharing some like really personal stuff with me that to me is the level that like I might only be sharing with some pretty close friends. And so it can catch you off guard when there's, different perceived boundaries around that sort of thing in that parasocial dynamic. Yeah. Jesse, it sounded like you wanted to say something or no. Yeah, no. I mean, I think about this sometimes with like big TikTok creators. So Mm -hmm. with someone like Elise Myers, I think every single person would be like, I know who she is. She's my friend. She's a little quirky. She's really fun. (laughs) I like her. You know, I'm she's pregnant. This is what she's going through, right? And probably to a degree, a lot of that is true because she's pretty honest and open in the way that she is. And like the same with me. If you were like to meet me in human form, I'm very similar to the way that I am online. But that doesn't mean we're friends, right? So I think it's like you might actually know me more than some people might know me because I have been open and I have been sharing and whatever. But it doesn't mean that like now all of a sudden – you don't have to introduce yourself to me or we wouldn't have to become friends, right? Like it's almost like the presumed relationship skips all those steps. And so Mm -hmm. it can be like dangerous in that way. I think like the way that people have interacted with famous people and assumed like they can take pictures or they can be around them or they would want to hang out with them or they, you know, those kind of things is, is, is seriously because of like this, like we're already there. So like, I just need to meet them and then we'd be all the way there. <laughs> you know, it's like that feeling and it's probably nothing like that at all. And I think it's dangerous. I also think for Taylor, um, this comes up around her interpersonal relationships a lot. Yeah. Like who she's dating, who she used to date, etc. And like people defend her on things that happened a really long time ago or people really judge her for like being around a person post breakup that like wasn't great but like she's young enough that she can still do what you know like it, you yeah. can't dictate her life you know so I think there were a lot it's that's an interesting discourse that comes from that which is like because you think you're friends with the person you can comment on their relationship when you know honestly I wouldn't want my friends doing that <laughs> like yeah. 
I might want my friends like in public to sidebar me and be like, hey, have you seen all this stuff that this guy said? I don't think he's a very nice guy. Like maybe you should think about that. I know you're just having fun, but like can we talk about that a little? Like I would want that from a friend, yeah. but I wouldn't want like a public outcry about who I'm choosing to like be around. Like that must just feel really uncomfortable and it's sad to me a little bit that it gets to that because like – I don't know. I mean, I get it and I know why it does, but I also am like, I wish it didn't because it's kind of sad. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if you're having like a few of your friends saying some stuff about, for example, if you're like dating somebody or spending some time with somebody, it's like a handful of people. Right. But when somebody like Taylor Swift or any celebrities, like millions of people, right. Tens of millions of people that are commenting and, and again, the internet has like, again, democratized people's voices to the point that they can say whatever they want to say behind their keyboards or whatever it is. And then mm-hmm. without repercussion, right. Because you're going to say that to somebody's face. Of course not. Right. A lot of half, you know, most of the stuff that people will say online, they would never have the ability to say that in person. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. people- If you're a real okay. Taylor Swift fan too, you would also yeah. realize that the internet was weaponized against her and that's why she disappeared for like two years. And yeah. so I think that like it's very ironic sometimes that like it kind of – people can't stop themselves even though – and to like fall into those same patterns. It's all probably psychologic in some capacity that makes sense, yeah. right? But like, you know – if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's this whole thing with Kim Kardashian and like a leak tape and Kanye West and everybody called her a snake. Go watch Miss Americana on Netflix if you want to learn more. It's like an awesome documentary and will teach you a lot about some of the like kind of more personal side of Taylor Swift, but also like some of this stuff in good, well done documentary. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the internet turned against like Taylor Swift is over was trending, right? And like that's a lot and every magazine was like are we done with her we're done with her you know so like if you actually saw that and how much that hurt obviously because she didn't come back like you literally disappeared for two years like you know i think you would maybe stop for a second before doing some of that stuff but i think it's just like once someone starts everybody starts and there's a lot of group think around it oh absolutely Um, and it, I don't know. Social media does give you like the ability to do what you're saying, sort of like, I don't know them, but like whatever, or I think I know them, so I can say whatever. Yeah. Or they'll never see this, so I can say whatever I want to say because who am I to say these things? But then that stuff comes up, right? And people will mm-hmm. like, inflate, et cetera, and go from there. So it's trouble. And I and I see this right with other parts of anything, a celebrity in general. Like, again, like I was going to say, like, I'm a big wrestling fan and, you know, women's wrestling has like grown a lot, um, in the past 10 plus years. And it's good for all the reasons that it should. Um, but of course you have the people who fit the wrestling stereotypes of like the people who live in their mom's basement who are never going to do anything, the guys, right. Who don't shower. And then they form these relationships, again, the parasocial relationships mm-hmm. with these women wrestlers. And they're like, oh my God, like how come they're dating so-and-so? How come they got married to so-and-so and he's so ugly? And how could that happen? And like, I'm offended. And like, you know, again, you see all the the terrible side of like wrestling Twitter. I'm on there when something like this like, shows up and again wrestling is its own niche but we know that same thing happens with like taylor and etc 
It has like a closeness to not as far, but like erotomanic delusions, right? Yeah, so like this yeah. belief that like you're dating the person, right? Which can lead to stalking and has in the past, like yeah. Jodie Foster is a good example. Um, probably question mark, there's some John Lennon maybe is an example, right? There's like some of these people that have had big things happen to them. Yeah. Um, there are examples of this. And it's it's like bordering on that for some people, especially when it starts to cross the line where you're like, I, is there reality in here? Like, can you find it? And if you can't, then I think you are in that space where you're really close to what we in our field would right. call erotomanic delusions. Yeah. So it's like, all I need to do is just meet with them. And then next thing you know, we'll have a whole life together, right? Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll be best friends or we'll be in love or, you know, we already are. Yeah. Every time mm -hmm. they, every time they wave, they're waving at me. Yeah. Brett, anything that you wanted to add to that or it sounded like you were saying something or? No, I mean, I think that oh, yeah. that sums it up pretty well. I just, I think it's, yeah, it's part of that. It's that's the, that pattern of filling in blanks, I think, where people don't necessarily realize that they're filling in blanks. Like, of course, we all do that, but you have to be aware that you're doing it. So again, when you see this, the image of whether it's Taylor or Jesse Gold or whoever you may be seeing their like <laughs> presence that they put out to the world, right? Like, Yes, you do. You feel like, you know, these, you know, you know, people based on those things, but there are also a lot of like blanks or things that you don't know. And if you're filling them in your head of just like, a, oh, yeah, you know, in, in my mind, this is how, you know, they are in these areas of their life that I don't know. That's one thing. But it's another thing to not realize that you're filling in that blank and to feel like you do genuinely know their whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the reality check part's important, right? Like both Britt and I are big fans, but we also know we're not friends with her. And like yeah. we also know that like we might tag her sometimes just in hopes that she ever sees it, but we don't actually think she will. Or like I've written pieces on her and I hope that she'll see them, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to like do something weird to make sure that she does. And it doesn't mean I assume that she does, right? So I think that, you can be a big fan yeah. and have a reality component to it, right? Like you can say, I like Taylor Swift. I've seen her every tour. I'm going to buy every album, whatever. And we are not friends. And, <laughs> you know, like, and I think that yeah. that part's important. And I think anytime you see like Brit tweet about Taylor, you'd see that she's like, I'm back to my stuff again, just so you know. Like <laughs> we know we are going to do that and it's annoying. And we know that like, Sometimes there's a degree of fandom that bothers other people, right? And like knowing that is part of like a psychological awareness that not everybody has when they get to that level, which is to say like, this might annoy people or this could be a pain. And so if that's who you are, like, just know this is coming and don't get mad at me for it or, you know, whatever. And I don't think that uh, a lot of the people in this sort of like grossly parasocial kind of yeah. network of this like have that like it wouldn't make sense to them why like her mom wouldn't pick them or stop and give them a hug or a bracelet or whatever at a concert because they of course she knows me I talk about her all the time right but no 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 that's not how it works right so I yeah. think like the degree of reality check is super important and I think if you're a big fan like you can be a big fan like none of like 
I would never tell you you couldn't. Like, I think having somebody to look up to, having somebody that you relate to or that lyrics can give you emotional, like, context when you don't have it, like Britt was saying, like, that's really important. But in the same respect, like, being able to go, like, but she's famous <laughs> is really important. And I think that part, you can see that missing in a lot of people and you can see it missing a lot on TikTok. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's unfortunate because I think – I don't want people to feel like they can't be fans because it's yeah. unhealthy because you can. It's just that you need to have other things too. And you also need to have like some reality check about it. Yeah. Also within that too, like within the reality check, also the, um, like the expectations game. Like I, I really, I hate using this word because I feel like people use this in ways that I don't love often but I feel like there is often this sense of entitlement to xyz thing around people when there are parasocial relationships like yeah. I have seen uh, there's been a lot of like ongoing discourse around the crowds that form outside of Taylor's recording studio when she's going in and out and some people are like very much like yeah well she like she has no reason to be upset about us for being there like that. We are entitled to, she's a celebrity. It's a public street, blah, blah, blah. And then other people are like, I mean, yeah, she's a celebrity. Yes. It's a public street, but like she's it's, this is not a press appearance. She's like actively trying to cover her face. She's just going in to record something like this is a different thing, but people feel really entitled to the like space and place with those types of relationships that it gets into some some murky waters if you aren't actually reality testing like again yeah what is the difference between i'm going to this event that taylor is hosting to meet fans versus i'm showing up to wait for 12 hours to see her for two seconds outside of the studio yeah i think that like entitlement piece is really interesting because you know from the person's point of view right like i've spent hundreds of dollars on these tickets, right? I've, you know, bought the merch, right? I'm wearing the clothes. I've told my friends about them. I've liked their tweets and their Instagrams and I've posted their stuff. And the least that they can do is give me a hug, right? And give me a high five and talk with me, right? That's what they owe me, right? Is is that part of the mentality that shows up there too? You think? Yes. I no. think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like, so. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say because I I don't feel like I personally am yeah. in that camp, so it's hard for me to like say what other people are thinking. But I get that vibe, yeah, that there's a thing of like, oh, yeah, we we support her in these ways. We buy all of her stuff. We pay to go to the concert. We defend her online, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so therefore, she owes X amount of fan service or whatever, and. You know, I, I the initial premise of it is not incorrect in the sense that I do think that, like, you know, you should treat your fans well if sure. they are the people that made you, you know, that, like, support you and blah, blah, blah. Like, sure, yeah. But I feel like people take that to a really far extreme sometimes that's like, this is not, we're talking about different things now. <laughs> Yeah, the tickets are so expensive too. I mean, it's it's so complicated. Like you are yeah. giving up a lot to be a fan and I get yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's really complicated. But I think that that's always been the case when there have been celebrities, the yeah. distance and the, I think just maybe the social distance has changed mm -hmm. with social media yeah. where like 
you wouldn't hear from the Beatles until they were around for a concert. So you didn't really have to think about it much. And it, it was a lot then because they didn't, people were like, ooh, we see them, right? And so yeah, yeah. that was a big deal. And there weren't as many TV stations and there weren't as many interviews. And there, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I think we've probably made it exponentially worse with like this degree of like everything. Access, yeah. Um, with access. And maybe it's interesting because like, Maybe because Brit and I started being fans when like the access was less, um, that makes a difference. Like, uh, you know, like you could buy a CD and yeah. um, they had line notes and, you know, she would do like little things for fans, like surprise them on Christmas with something or whatever. But like it was very different than this like enormous thing with like access on social and access on all of these ways. And so I wonder if like we're able to reality check more because that w it's not our experience of exposure to people. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't completely say that. It could just be like my personality is not one to assume that something is owed to me. But I yeah. do think that like there is a different experience being like in Gen Z and, and, and et cetera, where like your access has been at your fingertips all the time for people and that's really yeah. different than not for having us, the internet yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, for us oldies i mean i'm not even that old right like, but it's really coming in hot here like us seniors Swifties were like remember when you just bought the cd and then like and eventually it. got onto myspace and that was it like that was a big deal man <laughs> yeah i mean it makes me seem old but i i do think that like you know, I'm not that old, but people forget that all this internet stuff and social media stuff is really new. And that's really changed our access to people. And reality TV is really new. I mean, like the yeah. Osbournes was like, when was that? That wasn't, I mean, so late 90s, right? Late I think 90s. So, so yeah. like all of these like sort of pseudo reality things um, are recent. And so yeah. like, I think if you're... 13, 14, 15, 16, like that's all you know, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that must be really different, I think. Like they might need help reality checking because they might not know to. Because their reality is different, right? Mm -hmm. Reality is different from mm -hmm. ours. So let's talk about, Brett, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Um, Taylor, why so many people identify from on a mental health point of view with Taylor's lyrics and songs and everything like that, what's special about her? More special about her? Another one that I'm like, oh, okay, how do I not give like a 20-minute answer? In this thesis, I, I will. Thesis. <laughs> like Taylor's the whole, you know, like brand is around diaristic song songwriting. Um, that has been her, her thing since day one is that my songs are like, I'm writing my own songs and I'm writing them about my life and not just about my life, but in a like very explicitly personal way. Like a lot of songwriters write about their lives, but a lot of them also write things in much more kind of like ambiguous or interpretive ways or lean more into metaphor or, you know, things like that, whereas like her song lyrics make it in most cases very explicit what she's feeling what's going on um and i think that that is a like hugely powerful thing for people in the sense of like feeling like they have um like that their feelings and thoughts and all these things matter too like i mean they're the 
the, the Swifty community as a whole is very varied, right? Like everybody from like all ages, all genders, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like in particular, young girls get told from a very early age, both implicitly and explicitly, that they're, you know, it's the you know dramatic teenage girls. Oh, teenage, like what is the first thing that we do when like culturally when people are mocking something? Oh, that's, you know, that's a movie for teenage girls. That's yeah. a, you know, Taylor Swift audience is all teenage girls. Like Taylor Swift just sounds like a teenage girl. And it's like, okay, <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you think that the biggest insult in the world is to be a teenage girl. Um, and we, there is so much messaging around that being bad and that, you know, young, that young girls feelings and thoughts are too much and that they should tuck those away and that their experiences are whatever. And I think that Taylor has, throughout her career kind of helped a lot of people. Um, and again, in particular, those young girls see that like, Hey, my thoughts and feelings matter. And maybe I'm not going to share a super revealing personal diaristic song with the world, but maybe I do feel like it's okay for me to tell someone how I'm feeling about something. Maybe it's okay for me to have these big feelings and to be able to, seek some kind of community around them. Maybe this is something that isn't just something I should minimize and roll my eyes at and dismiss. Maybe this is actually important. It matters. My experiences matter. And I can do what I want to do with that. I think to me, that's a really important piece of what she has done within her general ethos. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're that we're also told like we're being dramatic, right? Or like yeah. that the girl side of the breakup isn't you're like you you need to get over it. Like, why do you still care? And I do think like a lot of that is feedback she gets publicly too, and you see like the way that hits and like her response, and that also helps. But her music like has always been like, well, I'm allowed to talk about the relationship too. Like that was my relationship too. Or you, yeah. what do you mean dramatic? Like call me dramatic. I'll deal with it kind of thing. And that's really nice. And then I think as she's evolved too, like if you look at the albums she put out over COVID, there's a lot more reference explicitly to mental health than she maybe did before. Some of that started again, if I like in that Miss Americana documentary. And she talks more about sort of the price of fame for her and eating disorders and depression and like the wording in her some of her later songs like actually includes like words like depression. And so when you when you hear that, you now know it's maybe a little more than just feelings too. And so I think that has helped some to make that more normal in like a different way because maybe like she started by just saying like, hey, you're allowed to have feelings about this. And now she's like, and you also can like actually have problems because of this, right? Like, you know, you might need help because of this or you might um, really struggle because of this. And I think um, that's, it gives you a different lens to look at some of her older stuff through um, and also make you feel seen in some capacity where you relate to someone that you've related to for a while and now that person also struggles and gets help and that's nice you know yeah having like again like our our celebrities or our people's like be human right and going through human experiences is what again part of this it feeds into the little bit of that parasocial relationship because they're going through it i can go through it too or i am going through it and there's that connection that occurs so 
Okay. It's like connection and identity, right? Like, so yeah. it's not mm-hmm. just like they're going through it, I'm going through it. It's also like if they're going through it, maybe I'm going through it. Like maybe that's what symptoms look like or maybe that's what I have been struggling for. Maybe I need a name for it, right? Like I think it also helps on that side, which is like I can get help because they did or maybe that is what I'm struggling with because I have all the same things and maybe I should go talk to someone. And so as much as it might just be the connection part and feeling seen, there's also like a it helps more people get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Britt, have you seen that or things that like it shows up in any way, shape or form like with clients that like um, they may resonate or they may bringing up something like a song or music or something along those lines. And then it's like, hey, is this potentially depression, anxiety, et cetera, that's there? I mean, I've had a lot of clients come in with it's you know it's not a it's not necessarily a super structured thing always yeah, but yeah, just yeah. the yeah this is what's resonating with me right now and if you start to for some people it's just as um I don't want to say basic and like a minimizing sure. way but for some people it's just kind of like a oh yeah this is the emotion of the song this is how I'm feeling but then for other people there are points where it's like oh yeah this song is like digging into some of the stuff that is making me feel a type of way and maybe I don't even like fully understand it, but it's making me think that there might be something more there. Um, and I, I think that that, um, that that is definitely a thing that shows up. And in, you know, thinking about like Jesse mentioned the um, Miss Americana documentary, I feel like things like that are helpful too in that, like, I think that seeing Taylor talk about XYZ things that she struggles with. Yeah. It it opens the door for somebody else to say, Hey, I might be kind of struggling with that too. And I might need some support with that. And maybe the like vehicle to start that conversation is So I was watching this documentary, which feels a lot less intimidating than just like walking into like a therapist's office and being like, Hey, so I think I have an eating disorder, right? Like it's, (laughs) Right. like a soft open to be able to be like, so I'm a Swifty and I'm watching this Americana and really resonated with this thing that she was talking about. And like, that's an easier opening into a conversation that is a really vulnerable and scary conversation for a lot of people. So I think that music and just in general, like that kind of media the persona yeah. of someone can be a really great starting point for that. Okay. Jesse, anything to add to that part? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I've brought song lyrics into therapy. You you know, I mean, if you're sitting at home and this is what Instagram, I mean, in some capacity is also good for, which is like a quote or a poem or a thing that someone else did words and feelings better than you. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. other people do words and feelings better than you. Um, We were not taught how to talk about feelings and sort of like what Britt was saying about how like it sounds silly. I mean, it's not and it was hard. Nobody told us how to feel. Most people tell us how not to and why we shouldn't. And so if you're at home and you're listening to a song and some lyric makes you think in some way, you know, bringing that stuff in is quite useful. Like it's it helps us understand you more. Um, It helps us like, you know, if those words resonate for you, it's there's probably a reason. And so like it gives a window that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise because it resonated with you and I've definitely done that where I was like hey I was listening to this album and for some reason this particular lyric kept like really affecting me and maybe we should talk about that 
Um, and it makes a big difference when you have trouble putting words to stuff like, you know, which yeah. we all do. And it's not is not to put blame on someone or to say that, like, they're doing it wrong and they need other people's help as a crutch. Right. It's just to yeah. say that, like, no one taught us how to do that. And sometimes other people do it better. Right. And by the way, this is this is Winnie. She's being annoying. <laughs> so she's That's on my good. lap. Um, so if you keep hearing like weird dogs, like she's just trying to it completely interrupt this interview. So I apologize. I think it's weekend. Winnie is just it's okay. having a blast. Well, that, hey, that's what the weekends are for. So, um, no, it's, it's similar. Like, I mean, again, with any kind of media, right. With movies and stuff like that, songs and stuff too, is like, we see them, we visit them in different times of our lives, right. When we watch movies from like our childhood or again, listen to music again from our childhood. And like, we, come at it with that experience with it like it's a whole different movie whole different song and some things we didn't get back then we get now mm-hmm. so yeah i mean writing is powerful oh. right like writing is <laughs> writing is super powerful that's why you know i mean that's why the strike and things like that is important right like they they're like writing and the way that actors do what they do is not easy it's right. a skill and writing that way that resonates with people and gives you to feel emotions is a skill. And like, it's a skilled work that should be compensated. But also, yes. it's just, you know, worth like, that medium is important for so many reasons. Yeah, Brett, you were gonna say. Well, I, was, um, I was just gonna say that I think also um, that it provides an opportunity for self-compassion. Um, Hypothetically, if someone were to struggle with self-compassion, which I'm not saying that I do. Um, <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically. You could, hypothetically, hear a song that feels very resonant with you and notice that you have a much more compassionate response for the person singing the song and the experience that they're singing about and then realize, oh, hey, wow, so... When I'm going through this and I'm beating myself up about it and, you know, minimizing my own whatever and trying to dismiss it, et cetera, like, that's interesting to see that that's not how I respond when I hear Taylor singing about something that seems pretty similar when I hear her singing about it. And I'm just like, oh, yes, girl, like, you feel those feelings, (laughs) like, you were wronged, that wasn't your fault, that shouldn't have happened, like, this is, you know, this is a fair reaction, blah, 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 blah. And when I notice how different, again, hypothetically, how different that is to my own reactions to some of my own self, it does point that out in a way that I think is important and helpful for people to kind of potentially offer themselves a little bit more grace and understanding. Hypothetically, hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> has this, has the, I know the recent tour is like, again, it's a huge thing that's going on right now or it's current event has this i know there's like the um the article kind of referencing again was like talking about how it's invaded the therapy world and invaded the psychiatry office have you guys seen this or not so much my my client is a little bit different but so i don't get it as much but i'll let you i'll let you guys go so jesse you can go first i guess i mean so i think Britt probably is a self-selected population <laughs> so she might tell you more but i think you know um like not so much like it's not all the time I think it comes up more casually for me like somebody saying that they're going to the tour or something like that um more than a like excessive conversation around it. it is much more on tv and social and 
my peer group in ways that wasn't before like I, even the last tour I had trouble getting someone to take my other ticket to come hang out with me like <laughs> oh, wow. that's how ridiculous that the difference is in like a couple years like I was yeah. like I have two tickets I'm going to Taylor Swift who's coming with me and it was like Crickets. And I, and they were like, you know, and also the prices were substantially lower. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, that has changed for sure. But I would say for me and my population, maybe I also see a lot of people who don't want to admit that they're Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I, it's not as prominent in the conversation, um, you know, my public, like, pr you know, friend life and things like that for sure. Yeah. Brett, you get to go now. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't I don't know how much of this like it's, it feels like a chicken and egg kind of thing. Um, I'm not entirely sure how it happened, but I do have a like substantial percentage of Swifties on my caseload, um, and so it has been like the tour and the albums and things like that have absolutely been parts of the conversation. Um, like I feel like I was you know I was there to support everybody as they went through the trenches of the Ticketmaster fiasco and the people who got tickets, but you know, it was a whole thing or the people who didn't get tickets and then that was a whole thing. And and then like leading up to the concert, lots of people talking about what their hopes and expectations were and things like that. And then a debrief after the concert, like there's, um, I think there's probably several factors for why that's such a, a common thing amongst the population that I see. But um, but I do think that it it's kind of become, I mean, it's huge now right like yeah. i feel like even if you don't even if you are not necessarily talking as overtly about it as maybe i am with some of my clients like i would be willing to bet that the popular like the percentage of your clients who would consider themselves a fan to at least some degree is probably a lot higher than one might think just because statistically speaking her fan base is so huge yeah Do you ask questions about it or does it come up just comes up I yeah. don't because I'm less directive so I don't tend to ask a ton of questions though I have with anytime an album drops I will usually although at this point they tend to know that I want to know this so they just offer it but I will ask like oh yeah like so like what song is like really hitting right now like with the with speak now Taylor's version that was like one of the first things that came up with any with that handful of clients was oh yeah so I'm listening to it here are my thoughts and then this is the song that has, that stood out to me the most for these reasons um but for the most part I tend to just kind of let people talk about what pieces of it resonate for them because the thing is, is even when you're talking about the same exact thing it's an entirely different conversation, right? Oh, like yeah. for one yep. person, this re-recording that just dropped there, you know, it's these songs that are hitting and the thing that that is impacting them the most is that this was an album that they never really paid too much attention to. It was never their favorite, but now they're seeing it in a whole different light. And then you've got like this person over here who's like, oh my God, I'm reliving a really, really like prominent part of my life by this re-record and I'm, I'm going through some things because I'm reliving this album that came out in all of the and now I'm thinking about these things that happened when it came out the first time and it's more of this like reflective piece um there's there's just so many different ways that like even the same thing like an album release can show up for different people yeah that works that works no absolutely like I think it it absolutely plays out 
different ways and it comes up. And I think, you know, our own personality, right. From our own bonds that we have, like with our, with our patients, our clients, like, you know, this, there's stuff that, you know, hopefully we have a good rapport with them and that they know us on some level too, that they bring or that we bring some of our stuff into there and then they vice versa comes out too. Yeah, so. I asked because I was curious if she created a Swifty safe space. A Swifty right? safe space, like yeah, it's almost to. like they know they can, so they do, or she brings it up in some way that they do. I mean, like because I do think I probably have more people who are Swifties as patients. It just, it you know, maybe because we got to talk about meds and I'm not deep dive in there. That's sure. part of it. But even for me, the reason my therapist knows is I said I was going to the concert and I maybe wore a shirt once or twice that had Taylor Swift on yeah. it. Right? It's like these like kind of casual things I wasn't really going to therapy talking about Taylor the whole time right but it's like these little things where she would notice and mentioned it you know but uh, you know maybe it's a swift I I signal it I signal it with my cardigan you know that's (laughs) like that's kind of a joke but also not because I own multiple of them and I do like not just Taylor cardigans but I do tend to wear a sweater most days of the week just because in the winter it's cold in the summer I work in an office building and you know how office buildings are in the summer the AC is blasting yeah so I I maybe I'm like also subtly signaling to people where they like come in and they like see oh hey I know that cardigan which means that like you are probably at least at a certain level of swiftiness to have the cardigan and be wearing it to work like this is a safe (laughs) for me to talk yeah. No, like, I, I mean, you know, my, my sports fandom is like definitely come through. And then like, you know, like when the 49ers like, you know, lost in the championship or they lost the Super Bowl or they lost all that stuff, like people are like, are you doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> are you doing okay with this? Like, or they'll like rub it in a little bit. So, you know, depending I'm on where, where the fandom is. I'm casually signaling that my life is messy by having two boots in a year. And so more is my, my, my patients being concerned I'm low functioning. You know, it's like, it's not like, did you go to, to the, did you go to the heiress tour though? I just thought about it. I do have at least one patient who did ask me that it is more like, so this year, is this a thing for you now? Like breaking stuff and like, yeah. you know, it's more that for me. I'm glad they talked to you guys about sports and Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, and even like, I mean, I think with shared experiences too like there's definitely times like I think Britt like I'm sure that when you had people going and you went to the show and Jesse same with you like I remember I went to again the black party show somewhere recently and I one of my patients was there um and you know they came up to me and said hello and you know we talked for a little bit but it was just like it's that idea of also like even you know we have our own boundaries in the mental health field of like you know boundaries, 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 and we can't have relationships and we can't talk about this stuff. And then what, how do we deal with seeing you at the grocery store? It's like, you know, these, these kind of shared experiences come up with that connects us with them too, to be like, it's, it's nice to know that your therapist is going to the show. It's nice to know that your psychiatrist is like a human being as well. And like going to a show. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that humanizing piece is huge. Like, I feel like even for, um, like even if for clients that um if if they like aren't fans of taylor swift or whatever and i mean if they aren't i'm like struggling to think of a way that this like comes up in conversation but like or how they ended up with you right (laughs) right like it's like i have a if i have a client who doesn't like taylor swift but knows that i like taylor swift like 
even that piece, even though they, that's not a point of connection per se, I feel like there's connection and humanization in the idea of like, oh yeah, you are just like me, a like regular, you know, human who really loves your music person, right? Like everybody's got their band, their artists, their whoever. So even if theirs isn't the same as mine, I feel like that's the type of like, you know, there's always the debate around how much self-disclosure is too much and boundaries and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like even if I opened, you know, if I, in my intro speech to clients where I'm giving my three seconds bio, if to every client I included the fact that I'm a Swifty, I feel like that's a thing that just helps humanize me, right? Even for the people who are like, meh, I could take or leave her music, but I'm glad to know that you're not like a robot who is nothing yeah. more than your job. <laughs> You're not you're not ChatGPT who made all these questions for us, right? So you're <laughs> not ChatGPT. <laughs> I I am currently plugged in right now, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but I agree with you, though. I mean, I think that we are probably more of the school of thought that that was the wrong thing to teach us that yeah. like, we don't have anything that's human. Yeah. I think. You know, people still get mad when I cancel because I'm sick and I've gotten emails, mm -hmm. which I wish I didn't when that happens, right? But I do think that it's important that, like, that stuff is there and true. Like, when I had to not go in person because I broke my other foot, I wasn't going to just be like, I'm no longer in person for the next couple months because it just felt weird. I wanted to tell them. And then obviously it's kind of dramatic because I did just break <laughs> another foot. And so, it, you know, my office was like, are you sure you want to tell them that? And it was like multiple back and forths. But, you know, to me, very similarly, like sometimes life is complicated and messy yeah. and you know, I'm a human too. And like, this is me coping with it. Maybe it helps you cope with it because I imperfectly cope with it in the same way that like, maybe it helps you to know that like, sometimes I go to concerts and like, sometimes I exist in the world outside of the screen or in person, right? So, you know, if I see people, I kind of operate under the premise that I won't talk to them unless they talk to me yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But I, I also like see people I work with like all the time because I see the employees in the hospital system. And so yeah. the way that they react is usually based on the fact that they're like anxious about people knowing that you could possibly know me for any reason besides being my patient. But I think it's important that we say that stuff. And I think it's, you know, sometimes I even think about like in my bio, it, it, you know, if you read my bio, it's just, it sounds like I have had no problems, right? It's like, hey, uh, here's all these fancy schools I went to and here's all the fancy things I do and yay. Yeah. And I don't know that that helps like people in the way that it should. And I have been thinking about that a lot in this like sort of realm of like, what does it mean to be a human in the world doing what we do? And yeah. like, I think we could do like that better, like, and the way we give talks and the way that we like write our bio, because like, yeah, I mean, I did go to a bunch of fancy schools, but like, I also am a human and I do like not you have just experiences. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's not perfect. <laughs> you, you have experiences, right? Like you have stuff that you've been through. We've all had stuff that we've been through. Um, like, you know, again, like I went on paternity leave, like back in December, around the turn of the new year. And it was that debate of being like, do I tell people that I'm going on paternity leave? <laughs> do I want them to know, right, that I'm having a 
fourth kid, right? It's not like the same thing as, you know, breaking two ankles, but like, you know, having another damn kid, right? Like, <laughs> so that kind of stuff, but shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up a bit, but we'll start, Brett, anything that you want to kind of parting gifts or things to pass along or anything that we did not talk about that we should be talking about? I know we could be talking for hours, but. This is one of those scenarios where I think to myself, no, I don't have anything. And then like three hours from now, (laughs) I'm like cursing myself because I didn't say the one thing. The Um, one thing. What is the one thing you need to, you have two seconds to tell me the one thing. No. <laughs> well, I'm with the lobster face. Um, just in general, I think that whether we're talking about music in therapy or any other thing, like my, this is, you know, maybe my, my soapbox, my cliche broken record line, but I go back to the idea that like, I do think that there is a space and a place for that sort of conversation in the therapy and in mental health. Like I know that, you know, I kind of, you know, even in this conversation where we kind of joke about me talking about my swiftiness with my clients and things like that. But like, I think that things like music are hugely important in, um, in those spaces. And, and I think that it's an underutilized resource within mental health and therapeutic spaces because people feel like either either there's like intimidation of like, well, I'm not a music therapist. So, Ooh, I don't know. Or like it gets dismissed as, you know, well, that's not therapy. You're talking about what songs you're listening to. Like there's just a lot of stuff I feel like that puts, that puts distance between those two spheres that my continued broken record repeat will be to continue to bring them closer because I think that it's, it's an important and powerful tool. Um, yeah. So. No, I mean, you know what you know, like we, you, we have these things as a common language, like this is what you're versed in. Like I bring up movie references and sports references like all the time, right? Or other things like that. Cause like, I know that there's that common kind of language, hopefully there with you or with, there with the uh, people. So Jesse, any last <laughs> I bring up common references all the time, but sometimes I date myself with them. (laughs) It's okay. Um, I think they're super common and obviously everyone will know and then like I'm wrong. Um, And that happens a lot when I see like college students are like, what is that, you boomer? Do you remember remember dial-up internet connection? (laughs) I mean, even something where it's like a movie that I really think has stood the test of time and it hasn't. But anyway, that's besides (laughs) the point. Um, I think with with college students, you can end up with like multiple degrees of that. Like I made a comment recently to a college student about a mixtape. And then I was like, sorry, that's a dated reference. I mean, like, like if you burn like a mixed CD and I was like, shit, Wait, that's a dated reference. Too. Like, like, yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm out of, I'm out. I'm tired. I'm yeah. old. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, thinking about this, like if I'm a patient, I want people to know that like bringing in music and bringing in lyrics and bringing in entertainment is valid and helpful and like you should do that like if you're at home and something resonates like even if your your therapist isn't like Brit who's like (laughs) actually better trained in this and uses it a lot most people will learn a lot from that information so like don't just take that as a random bit of information if it helps you communicate better like bring it in um think of it sort of like when you think about what questions you want to ask ahead of time or when you think about um, going into a visit, what you want to talk about, like something like that can be really helpful. And then, you know, if you're a fan, know that there are limits to fandom and that like it's important to 
check it sometimes and make sure you have other stuff that you're doing too and that like if you are going to the heirs tour awesome but also know you're gonna have some letdown after so you might want to plan some stuff afterwards or you might want to make sure you have some things to like commemorate it and think about it more and so that's important and then if you're like a therapist or psychiatrist listening I mean I think just know that like that you could ask people about the music they listen to and that that can make a difference. Um, I often think if you like looked at someone's Spotify playlist during a particular time, you'd actually be able to diagnose them <laughs> like um, because you'd be like, ooh, someone's sad, right? Like just because you do tend to gravitate towards like the stuff yeah. that's resonating with your mood. And so I do think that like if you're sort of stuck with someone – as a, you know, as a client, as a patient, depending on what you do, um, you know, asking them like, what music have you been listening to lately and trying to get on the same page about that could be a common language that's worth like exploring and is probably not something you've really had modeled for you because we model really boring old school stuff usually. And so, you know, just keep in mind that it's like another tool if, if especially for these people, like I would say, honestly, especially for like college age boys, like these, like sometimes where you're kind of like, ah, you're here, talk to me. Like, and yes. it's like one line words and you're just really trying and you know they're there and they want to be there because they wouldn't come otherwise, but they don't know how to talk. And so, you know, finding common, I'm sure you talk about shoes, right? Like it's <laughs> finding common ground where you can get them talking about something teaches you a lot and makes you connect more and then maybe you'll talk about that really deep serious stuff eventually you know yeah and it's it's the thing that i whenever i have students like right now i'm having a bunch of like pediatric residents rotate through me um but like i always tell them i was like it's those second level questions right so when you ask them like oh what do you do in your free time and they say i listen to music or I listen or watch tv ask the second question what are you listening to right what are you watching and that gives you the window into like what the how exactly like Jesse, like you're saying is like what they're kind of going through and what they're experiencing. So awesome. Eventually AI is going to jump in and is going to like <laughs> connect this. We're going to have Spotify being like, you're going to get a pop-up like, Hey, I noticed you, you listened to this is me trying eight times in the last hour. Do you need to text your therapist? <laughs> and maybe We're, it's not bad, you know, maybe. who knows? For someone to get like, yeah, no, it's, it's, we're getting there. We're creeping along there. So who knows? So, all right, both of you guys, thank you guys. How can we reach out to, or how can people who are listening follow along with you if they're not already? So Britt, you can go first and then Jesse. Um, I mean, I'm not a terribly entertaining social media uh, personality, but the- Come on, uh, come on, you are. We enjoy you. That's the only reason you're here. So <laughs> the only social media that I use with- um, Frequency as far as like public social media is my Twitter, um, which is at Bella B13. So B E L L A B E E 1 3. Um, which, side note, I just would like to say for the record that 13 was my lucky number before I even knew of Taylor Swift's existence. Everybody assumes that I've chosen that as my lucky number because it's her lucky number. No, no. I chose that lucky number because I was an obstinate, like, fourth grader, I think I was where somebody in an elevator, I asked why there wasn't a 13th floor. And they were like, oh, 13 is an unlucky number. And I just, without thinking, said, well, 13 is my lucky number. So Yeah, you tell them. <laughs> um, is that, is, was that your AIM screen name too? 
believe was drama star 13. Okay. Oh, nice. Yes, the 13 still played prominently there. I was like, are we are we getting into AIM scream names now? Would be well, the I was one. just curious because I no longer have she's... AIM. I was just curious because she said like 13 since fourth grade. So I was like, is that, did you just use the same account? <laughs> the same, despite varying levels of cringe throughout the, you know, between AIM and MSN Messenger and MySpace and uh, Tumblr, Zanga, right? Oh, like Tumblr. we've been, we've, we've, we've done the rounds, live journal, right? Like oh. I've had many names in many places, but they always have that 13. <laughs> That works. <laughs> Jesse, your turn. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I sort to, of made that kind of go into that. weird places. <laughs> Apologize. Um, I'm at Dr. Jesse Golds, but with an I, like if you took the CA off of Jessica um, <laughs> on every platform, but mo- like my primary platform is my primary platform is Twitter. It, you know, Twitter's complex. Find me on if you don't like Twitter or you never use Twitter, find me on Instagram, TikTok, or Threads. Um, <laughs> I am mostly hanging out on Twitter until I get that same amount anywhere else. So feel free to help me get that same amount somewhere else. And you know, you can always find me on my website, which is just like mine, drdressygold.com. You can always like there's a contact me, there's all my writings there, whatever. It's all there. Cool. Well, thank you both for your time. And then we will rock on with Taylor. <laughs>